Thank you for listening to the audio podcast of the King's Crossing Church of Christ. To learn more or subscribe, please visit our website at kingscrossingcoc.com. Great to see everyone here today. Uh, really appreciate Mike and all the work he put into selecting a lot of those scripture readings and songs. I know it's been a, a meaningful service already so far today, and it is a great day to be here. I'm glad to see a lot of new faces and also some people who I know are just making it back to church for the first time since like March of last year. So it's a, it's a really good day to be here, and it's great to see all of you here. Uh, and I know there's some information in the bulletin, and you've probably already been seeing the announcements about some of the special activities planned after worship. I know outside and also in the gymnasium, uh, Crystal Dawson has worked very hard to make preparations for a special brunch and an egg hunt for the kids. I also want to mention, uh, I'm excited about next week. Uh, my friend, uh, Dr. Carson Reed, is going to be uh, joining us. He is the director of the Cyber Institute for Church Ministry at Abilene Christian University and uh, always an interesting guy to talk to and learn from. And uh, we're so excited to have him with us next week to preach. And also, uh, we're going to do a combined class so we can all have the opportunity to uh, listen to him. I was thinking this week about the value of, of Easter Sunday. What does it you know, practically mean for us to know that we serve Jesus Christ, whom is risen from the dead? I was thinking about all the different sources of stress that so many people carry around in their lives from day to day. Maybe it begins in the morning. Maybe the first thing that happens is that you look in the mirror and you immediately aren't so pleased with what you see. Have I really gotten that old this fast? Oh, man, i got to make it back to the gym. i got to work on that. Oh, I shouldn't have eaten that thing yesterday. And then you kind of hurry with your family, and you're trying to get ready to go, and your kid starts doing that annoying thing you've been trying to get them not to do. And is this really the time to fool with that, or can I just throw an iPad at them and get them to at least be quiet and stop bothering me and say, well, I'll, I'll fool with that later. And so you choke down your breakfast. Traffic is stressful. You get everybody where they need to go, and then you pull into the office, and it's one thing to walk in, but you see the person who's about to walk in at the same time is the very person you're competing with for that position you're both trying to get. And so you debate, do I get out and kind of fake smile at them, or do I just kind of hide and wait till they're out of the way so I don't have to talk to them? Work is stressful. You want people to acknowledge you. You hope that your coworkers respect you. You rush over to sports practice in the afternoon and you're starting to have grave concerns that your eight-year-old is not yet showing enough promise to get a college scholarship in sports. And so you carry that stress on you. And then that afternoon, that evening, you get home and you're, you're just thinking about you and your spouse and that you've been getting so busy and so distant and you need to work on that. But, but who has, has any time to do that? Because we got all this stuff to stress about again tomorrow, so we got to hurry up and get to bed. You know, people have a lot of different things that we carry. I would imagine most of us could relate to at least one little component of what I just shared. It would be my sincere hope that I didn't perfectly describe anyone just then. It's a lot to carry. There's a lot of burdens, but I think it would be fair to say that in this world, many of us, including myself certainly, we struggle sometimes with getting entangled by the concerns of life that we get entangled, and I think entangled is a good word because it's one thing to just run into a wall and have something completely flatten you, which happens sometimes, but I think for many of us in this ongoing hustle and rush, it's not just one thing, it's like 15 little things, and over time they each kind of get their tentacles involved and grab hold of your schedule and grab hold of your energy, 
and collectively you just find yourself feeling like you're just maybe not living your best life, maybe not doing all the things that you wanted to do. It's so easy to get caught up in trying to meet some invisible critic's expectations for us. If we start chasing after someone else's definition of what it means to be a success, we might end up tripping and stumbling. We might miss out on a lot of the really important things because we've got so focused on just trying to grab all the little lesser important things along the way. So Luke's gospel, after the passage that uh, Mike just read for us, which is a, a great passage, the story of Easter morning and a risen Savior, Luke's gospel goes on to tell us about some events that happened later on that same day. And he encounters some people on the road who I would say are perhaps not totally entangled, but they are certainly distracted and confused trying to make sense of whatever it is that just happened there in Jerusalem. And so I want to begin reading in Luke 24. You're welcome to open your Bibles there if you'd like. But Luke 24 and verse 13, it says, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Last week, we were talking about Jesus' approach to Jerusalem. As he entered the city, there was the triumphant entry as he came riding in on a young donkey and all the people celebrating and welcoming him as a king. So everyone last week was moving toward Jerusalem. But now that we're done with the events of the Passover, everyone is going back to wherever it is that they came from. Now, it was a common practice for the Jews, just as they would start kind of walking together as they went toward the city, if they saw another uh, set of Jewish people walking away from the city, they would often cross paths and come together. So with, with Jesus, even though they're not recognizing him, for Jesus to walk up and accompany them was actually a pretty normal thing to do in this kind of a context. And so they're traveling, he kind of walks up with them and joins them. It says in verse 17, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk? They stood still. They stopped walking. They stood still with their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there these days? Are you the only one who hasn't heard what's going on? How could you be coming from where we're coming from and not have a clue what we're talking about? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. So this is just a little while later. This is the same day. This is the day that he raised from the dead, and obviously they haven't put all the pieces together yet. They're trying to grasp it. They've got all the basic bits of information, but, but what exactly does this all mean? It's really clear they had hoped he would be the Messiah, but they also had a certain definition in their head of what it meant for him to be the Messiah. They were looking for someone finally to come in and conquer the Romans, drive out the Romans so that they could have their own kingdom back and their own rule again. But 
How can he possibly be the Messiah if he died under the Roman government by execution? How could he possibly be that guy? So you might notice as they describe him, they don't call him the Messiah. They say, we had really hoped he was that guy, but he was at least a prophet. So notice they call him a prophet, but they kind of balk at using that Messiah title for him. But even knowing that Jesus was not in the tomb, even though the women brought that message from the angels saying that he was alive, it still never occurred to them to start looking right around them for him to show up again. They had no idea. They didn't realize to whom it was they were speaking. What I wanted to reflect on with you this morning is that as we look at Jesus, this risen Savior, even before they started to grasp the implications of what it meant for Jesus to rise victoriously from the grave and conquer death, they haven't had a chance to think through any of this yet, but Jesus is already beginning to embody a lot of what the resurrection means, both for them and also for us. What does it mean that Jesus rose from the grave? What are the implications? He says in verse 25, he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things, then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. There's actually a very interesting shift that he makes because normally it was the person who owned the home who would be breaking the bread and blessing it. So Jesus suddenly makes this unexpected reversal in posture when he himself grabs the bread and blesses it and breaks it. And that's the start of something uh, kind of becoming clearer. It says their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and he opened the scriptures to us? I believe Jesus embodies here so much of what it means for him to be risen. What does it mean for Jesus to be risen? If nothing else, it means that our lives can have a much deeper meaning to them, that we have a deep source of grounding that gives us significance. And what Jesus did on the cross, he wasn't nullifying anything that happened in the Old Testament. He wasn't just erasing it so we don't have to think about it. If anything, he magnifies it because everything that was ever said that pointed to him, once it was true, becomes doubly significant. When they're trying to make sense of Jesus of Nazareth, he's able to start at the very beginning of the story, back in the earliest parts of Genesis, and he works his way through. We see all the teachings of the patriarchs. We see all the hopes of the prophets. All the things the people were seeking ultimately are true in Jesus Christ. He is the centerpiece of all human history. Everything hinges around him and his life, his death, and certainly his resurrection. Jesus gives us this grounding that we don't have anywhere else because our lives are a continuation of this story. Jesus says it's not just about you in this moment. Everything that you are as a Christian is tied into the deepest parts of human history. That gives us a lot of meaning in our life. It helps me to answer that question about why am I here and what is my real significance in this world? 
you know, these days it has become uh, the trend, and I know there's recent studies coming out saying that fewer and fewer people are now identifying as having any sort of religious beliefs at all. That's becoming increasingly common. One of the unexpected consequences of that is that there's a lot of things that people have always relied on their faith and their faith communities to provide that suddenly they're having to sort of invent for themselves. So when you think about the most significant moments in your life, when there's a new child born, when there's a significant battle with an illness, when there's a death in the family, uh, other major events, as people of faith, we have a bigger story to, to ground those experiences in. But if you're going to go ahead and try and let go of your Christian faith or whatever faith it might be, suddenly something big happens and you're left having to kind of improvise on how you're going to make sense of it. Uh, there was an interesting book I read last year called Strange Rites, The New Religions for a Godless World. They kind of detail a lot of the current trends and what people are doing as they try to piece together their lives in light of not wanting to have any sort of religious faith. I was really fascinated by the story of one woman named Iris. Iris would tell you that she is a social worker who works in New York. She would describe herself as a lax Jew who was married to a man whose only religious interests were primarily in the occult. And so they had kind of an interesting life together and then unexpectedly, sadly, she found herself widowed. Her husband passed away. And then she had the issue of trying to plan a funeral. And even though his, his family had been deeply Christian, he was not. So she didn't want to grasp any part of that story to define his life. And so she ends up putting together this really weird conglomeration of things. And so they got together and had this celebration in New York. It incorporated everything from the Jewish mourner's Kaddish, which was more her tradition, but also the theme song from The Legend of Zelda, which had been his favorite video game. So they start kind of piecing all these weird little things together because in the end, if you've detached your life from everything that has a deeper source of meaning, what does any of it mean? How do you establish what your story was all about? You just have to kind of improvise. You're just blowing in the wind. But Jesus doesn't do anything like that. When Jesus needed to talk about the biggest event of his life, his death and his resurrection, just as we're now able to do, he starts at the very beginning. He can talk of the significance from the very beginning. He shows everything leading up to his story, and praise God for us, it means that everything after his story is still part of his story. All that we do is a continuation of his life and his ministry. He has blessed us and invited us and empowered us to be his representatives in the world. Because Jesus is risen, our lives have a deep source of meaning and significance that's far greater than any of us individually or even collectively in this place and time. Jesus likewise shows us that struggle can lead to glory. Struggle can lead to glory. How do I make sense of, how do I keep pressing on with some of the things in life that make me feel so defeated? So many of the things that I know on my own, I'm just not adequate to fix or solve or overcome. Jesus points out as he's teaching them the scripture that he needed to suffer in order to enter his glory. Sometimes we sing a song about the old rugged cross, as we call it, because we cling to it now knowing eventually we exchange it for a crown. He embraced the suffering of the cross so that it could lead to glory. We humble ourselves now. We put God first in all things, trusting that God is the one who will lift us up raise us up, that all the things we do now eventually lead into glory. 
I appreciated both uh, Kevin's and uh, Justin's comments this morning in our prayer and communion, thinking about the implications of us following in Jesus' footsteps. Just as we followed in his death through baptism, we're going to follow into this new life through resurrection that he offers us. We continue to celebrate that truth weekly and remind ourselves of that when we gather at the table. One thing that's also very fascinating to me in this story is the invitation that occurs. It says that as they got to their destination, Jesus was just going to keep walking. So they got to Emmaus where they were going, and Jesus keeps on moving. And they said, no, 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 come and, come and stay with us. This was also a common practice as they were leaving the Passover festival because it wasn't safe to travel at night. So if you had a fellow Jewish companion, uh, it was expected you would try to show them hospitality, but thank God they did. But Jesus was going to keep walking, and instead they said, no, we insist. Stay here with us. Eat with us. You don't have to keep going. Stay here. It'll be safer for you this evening. And so they insisted that he join them, and it was in the breaking of bread together that their eyes were opened. It was because they had invited him in that they were able to experience a real understanding of what had just happened. One of the things that should happen for us each week as we continue to gather around the table and we break the bread and we drink the cup is that it has this effect of reopening our eyes where we do have so many things in our lives that make us feel entangled and confused and stressed. You know, you can spend so much time looking at what everyone else says you have to look at that it's like you become blinded. And you, and you listen to all these different competing voices about who it is you're supposed to be, and you can become deaf to the one voice that matters. We get so scattered, but yet we come back to the table, and when we return to the table, our eyes are opened again, and we're reminded of our true source of worth and meaning. But I love that they took the time to invite Jesus in, and because they made the space and the time to invite in this stranger, they had a real understanding. If they hadn't invited Jesus in, here's a question you can ponder. If, if they hadn't invited Jesus in, would they ever have realized who it was they had been speaking to? They made the time to be still, to be calm, to spend a little extra time with him, and they were blessed for the openness that they showed. Hebrews chapter 12, this is a great passage. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, this is kind of referring to all the people who are our heroes of faith, all the ones who've come before us, who finished the race strong, who, who honored God with their lives. We want to walk in their footsteps. That's the cloud of witnesses he's talking about. Since we're surrounded by them, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. What is the meaning of the resurrection? What is the hope of the resurrection? It means that I can live a life that is free and unentangled. It means we can have a source of clarity that leads us to freedom and that we don't have to be entangled by everything else. Jesus told the story starting at the beginning, but in his death and resurrection, he addressed the final enemy waiting for us at the end, the thing we all have to face, which is our own demise 
Death is that one unconquerable foe that does claim all of us eventually. Jesus addressed that, and because Jesus has already conquered death, there's this wonderful trickle-down effect where anything else that could threaten me probably isn't as bad as dying, but if it's even as bad as dying, Jesus has already solved that problem. I can lift that burden off of me because Jesus has removed it. So we want to take time, as these people did, as they traveled to Emmaus, the way that they paused, made space for Jesus, joined him at the table, gave him space where they could listen to his voice and see him more clearly. In the breaking of bread, his story helps to give meaning to our story. My life is no longer about my material success. My life isn't about what people say about me or claim about me. My life is not just about the way I try to project myself and how people will view me. My life isn't about winning or somehow getting the upper hand over anyone else. At this point, because he's risen, our life is all about Jesus Christ and the hope that he's given us. It's not that we don't still care about our experiences in the world. It's not that we don't still deal with those various sources of stress and struggle to balance and wear the different hats that we wear, it's that none of those things is what fundamentally gives us meaning. It's that I can work hard and I can even work joyfully because of the joy that God has given me in addressing my deepest fears and concern. It's that I can love openly because I'm operating from a place of of knowing how deeply God has, has loved me, that he would give his son to die for me. The pressures of life can really have a sort of numbing effect on us where we can get so worn down that we forget what we should care about and how much we ought to care about it. But in connecting with Jesus and seeing that he's risen from the dead, our eyes are open. And I love that description where they said, looking back on that conversation in the road, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us? That's the great effect of finally understanding. Here's really why I'm here. I know that God has loved me so much and has established me that it's not all just dependent on me to to somehow prove my, my value or my worth, but I'm intrinsically valued. And when we get our lives in line with something that's deeply truthful and meaningful, instead of being so deluded and distracted, our hearts can really burn for something good. We can be passionate about good things. We can give ourselves over to pursuing good and godly ends because we know that God is the one saving us, protecting us, and carrying us through. I want to invite all of us to be thinking about how are we giving God space in our life? Are we making those times to meet him at the table? Are we giving him the space where we could listen to his still, small voice among all the other shouting that's around us? Easter reminds us that when we make those spaces and we open ourselves, that Jesus does indeed bless us and guide us, and our eyes can be opened again. So we thank you for your presence here this morning. If you're visiting with us, it's our tradition that uh, usually at the end of our messages, we provide a space where if anyone has need of prayer, if someone Uh, wants to respond somehow to the message, if someone needs to be baptized, if there's anything you would like to share to have the congregation pray over, uh, we have a time set aside where we offer that. But it is likewise the case that you don't have to come forward. If you have a special need and you want to just pull one of us aside after church, certainly myself, one of the elders or leaders, uh, we're happy to talk to anybody about anything you're carrying, and uh, we'd love to be a source of uh, encouragement to you. But 
We do have this time set aside so that if you have a special need you'd like to share, we'd love to receive you and talk to you about that. We would invite you to come as together we stand and sing.